Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com on today's Tour Catch-Up. Masterful Medvedev takes the title in Toronto. Georgie upsets the odds in Montreal. And Roger Federer needs new knee surgery. Kim, we are done and dusted with the Rogers Cup in Canada, in Montreal and Toronto. We have our two singles champions, Daniel Medvedev and somewhat surprisingly, Camilla Georgi. Uh, we're going to be dissecting and talking about how both those events unfolded. We're going to be looking into the Cincinnati draws as well. And also talking about the sad news that Roger Federer will unfortunately need new knee surgery, which is going to be putting him out, I feel like indefinitely uh, for the future. So, Let's kind of crack on and start with all the tennis that's been going on in Canada and start in Toronto with the Men's 1000 event. Daniel Medvedev, our champion. And I think the story of the context, really, of the the Masters events on the men's side this season, I think really has been... A, you know, a story for, you know, the next gen. It's It's been the opportunity, I think, for, you know, the next gen players, players like Medvedev, uh, Zverev as well. So we had Hubert Herkaj win earlier in the year. It's been their opportunity, I think, to, to develop and win titles because it has been, I feel really feel this season anyway, it's really been at a premium for any of the big three to turn up and, uh, you know, this time around, it was the same situation. No Novak Djokovic. Rafael Nadal was going to be there, but also unfortunately pulled out. So it really wasn't another opportunity, I felt, for, you know, one of those younger players to step up and, and make a name for themselves. Yeah, I feel tournament organisers are probably like tearing their, you know, heads at the moment because they just want like the top three to play, don't they? Uh, the big three. They're going to need a new marketing strategy, aren't they? I know. Um, but the thing is, they aren't the top three anymore, are they? Uh, Rafa's gone down to number four in the world. Um, so we, but obviously that we use the loose term big three. I think apart from the Rome final, which was Rafa and Novak, yeah, it, they've been very, very absent mostly. Um, but you know, this is all a bit reminiscent, Joel, of 2019 when Daniel Medvedev kind of went on that ridiculous streak and dominated like the US Open series so I wonder if we're going to see that happen again because yeah he won the Rogers Cup on the weekend straight sets in the final against Riley Apelka who has been having a decent season but I don't necessarily think he would have been the one we would have expected to have got you know to to his first Masters final Um, but yeah Medvedev very much the main man I think actually the first player outside of the big three to actually win a Masters title Uh, being the top seed Um, so he's you know justified his if there was any pressure being the top seed I don't necessarily think there would have been pressure but you know he's certainly come through in in flying colours. 
yeah, it was really impressive, particularly end, I think, to the tournament for him because he came up against John Isner in the semi-final, then Riley Opelka in the final, two of the, the biggest servers, uh, in the, in the game. And yeah, it was, it really, I think, tested, particularly, of course, his, his return game. And he was just able to swap them away with, with relatively, relative ease, came through John Isner, you know, really comfortably in, in the semis. And then Opelka, I wondered if, you know, Opelka played really, really well against Sissipas in the, in the semis, winning that in three sets. I wonder if that, you know, took quite a bit out of him because I've felt like the conditions this week had been quite, um, punishing at times. But, um, yeah, it's been really, really impressive from Medvedev. You do wonder if this is the start of another, uh, you know, if this is a, a, the start to another, uh, you know, hot streak for him, he's already looking like, you know, he's ready to go for, you know, the US Open. I mean, if I'm being honest, I actually think this is, I'm, I'm looking at the way he's playing at the moment and I'm thinking, you know, particularly on a hard court and I'm thinking, is he, you know, is he ready to take on, you know, Novak Djokovic or, you know, on the, you know, in Flushing Meadow and, and win? Because I get the feeling that this is a point in time where he's, he's played enough tennis now. He's, he's really awkward and unorthodox and not many players are able to kind of beat him. Um, you know, he's already, I think, got to five finals, uh, this season. And yeah, it just feels like now a you know, Grand Slam is the next thing to really kind of cap it off. And the US Open feels kind of right for him. And I always think back to, you know, when Dominic Team on, on the clay, it felt like you know, he was going to be the next kind of challenge, I think, to, you know, Nadal, you know, the, the French Open. And I sort of feel like this is the the momentum we're sort of seeing, I think, with Medvedev and the fact that, you know, he's winning these tournaments as the top seed. You know, we're expecting him you know, to win and he's doing so relatively comfort comfortable um he did have a tricky match against Hubert Hercage in, in the quarterfinals but the fact that he's doing it so well and so impressively it does make me think that he is ready to kind of take on that ultimate test I think when it could potentially be Novak Djokovic um, at the US Open well yeah Joel I get, I get your comparison with Dominic Team, but Dominic Team <laughs> never actually managed to beat uh, Rafa at Roland Garros yet <laughs> Oh, here we go. You were going to say that, but yeah. But you, do you know what I mean? You got that feeling with team yeah. with he he was winning, you know, lapping up all those kind of clay events at you know five hundred and and the masters level. And he was ready to make that jump to to in, you know into best of five. And you know we saw that I think you know with Medvedev. You know he came oh so close, didn't he? Against you know Nadal in the U.S. Open final, you know, a few years ago. But I do think now with with Djokovic and the way he's playing. He's gonna. He's got the confidence now that he. I think feels that he's got the belief. I think that he can. He can really take a crack at that. Definitely, and I mean, coming through against massive servers is only going to bolster your confidence. <laughs> because if the conditions in the U.S. Open are anything like you know mm. this week, it's going to really favour those like massive servers and being able to return well and and generate a lot of breakpoint opportunities and convert those opportunities um, was very key for Medvedev um, in the semi and the final. You know, he was able to break. I think Isner four times and Apelka three times, which does not mm. come easy uh, no. because. Both of them are massive servers, but they also do have other other skills and abilities on the core. And I think especially we saw that with Apelka, you know, he isn't just a one dimensional server. Like we do have to give him his due. There is a lot more to his game. He was really impressive this week. We've spoken before about the fact that his movement has come on leaps and bounds, I think, over the last kind of few seasons. And 
particularly from the back of the court um you know he's been he's been very very good it's not just been about his serve he can he can hit really good ground strokes and create really kind of awkward moments for for his opponent but i just felt with with medvedev you know his defense and again that started i think with the return of serve it just asked too many difficult questions, I think, of Opelka. And although I think Opelka was kind of playing out of his skin to kind of keep the rally going with with Medvedev, it you know, looking at the stats, it almost felt like the writing was on the wall once the once the rally length went over five shots because it was really kind of favouring um, Medvedev. And you know, I think again, what was so impressive about the, his his victory this week is the fact that, you know, his return of serve was just so good. It's not just a case of him standing way behind the court and you know being able to get it back in play. It was, you know, he was able to get it back and his placement um, really meant that it, it sort of nullified, I think, the, you know, the big serve and, you know, his stats against kind of big servers is really, really impressive. You know, he's got a really, I think, strong head-to-head record against, you know, Pelka, Isner, I think Karen Kachanov as, as well. And um, again, it's another thing that I think separates him out from kind of other other players that he's sort of kind of grouped with, players like Sissipas, where, you know, you look at kind of what are their weaknesses in the game. And you've you got to say with Medvedev, his return is probably one of his greatest strengths. But with Sissipas, it's probably one of his greatest weaknesses. Yeah, he he. I mean, you could tell that with the Apelka semi-final, like there was no break of serve at all. Um, the first two sets went to tie breaks, and you know it was in the end Apelka getting that kind of pivotal break in the yeah. third set that yeah. clinched it for him. And and Sitspas just seemed at times quite awkward trying to return Apelka's serve. Um, I think you know tactically he he really needs to up it. I think you know he he still has a bit of this belief that he could just play his own game, but it's it's like he needs to be a bit more tennis wise on the court and and I think you know that's obviously going to come with time I think um you know he's a very intelligent player but it just yeah at times this week he didn't seem to be in the know and he was being very hard on himself and I think he's probably still struggling a bit with that hangover from the Roland Garros final Mm. um, and perhaps personal issues as well and I think going into the US Open like what we've seen from him this week yes he got to the semis that's that's a good performance but I still have a lot of question marks Mm, yeah, he still he still does get quite emotional in the in the big moments, and I, again we saw that we saw that in the semi-finals. I feel like every every sister pass match at the moment, I'm sort of expecting him to get a you know warning or a violation in in some form or the other with from the umpire. And um, yeah, I think particularly he's he's not you know there's I think there's you know there's obviously I think different ways to win a tennis match and I think you know he thinks that he needs to play his best tennis in order to win a tennis match and maybe he needs a different kind of mindset and you know thinking yes that is one way I can win a tennis match but another way I could win a tennis match is making my my making my opponent not not play not play to his strengths and you just felt in that match against Apelka particularly on the on the return of serve it just was not working for him and you could just see that Apelka I think was targeting that that back, particularly that backhand side, and although the Sissipas backhand, I think looks a bit, you know, flash at times, and yeah, it, it can be a shot for the for the highlight reel. I think, you know, for one for one shot on the highlight reel, I think we're getting like, you know, ten or fifteen kind of framed, nothing, you know, backhand shots that just kind of go on, you know, just sit up mid court, and I think really that's where kind of Apelka was kind of taking advantage, and um, you know, really able to kind of use his ground strokes and move kind of sister passes around whereas as i said with someone like medvedev um you know, he's got a bit more of 
a bit more tennis smarts. He's got a bit more of a tennis brain on him and he's able to make every, every shot count. And that starts with that return of serve. And I think what's so impressive is the fact that, you know, with Medvedev, he's got, he's got that return of serve, but he's also got the big serve as well. So get through his games quite quickly and then start asking questions on that, on that return. So you can see how he's such a, a difficult player to play against because you need to really be on your feet kind of all the time because you know it might be 60 seconds after he's you know gone through 40 love relatively easy through his game and he's making you think about you know how you're gonna you know how you're gonna hold serve we are really singing his praises aren't we tonight Joel (laughs) although I do think you know I keep thinking back to that Australian Open final earlier this year where he was really disappointing and kind of had a meltdown so I will um (laughs) I will keep my judgment until you know he gets to that US Open final this year and beats Djokovic we will see um but a couple of interesting things actually um in in kind of Medvedev's run through he played Alexander Bublik uh in the second round and actually you know dropped the first set and came through Mm. there was a bit of a sort of debatable point um that happened where the umpire essentially stopped play um called called a hindrance penalty and they had to kind of um well did they replay the point or did they just give the point to Bublik they gave the point to Bublik, even though Bublik was like literally on the floor. We had a couple of, yeah, random uh, sort of, you know, things you don't often see uh, kind of point penalties um, on the court. And I mean, surprise, surprise, I guess it happened, uh, you know, in a match between Medvedev and Bublik. I know there was also Medvedev wanted to change his shorts and uh, he, you know, he wasn't allowed to go off court and he was like, can I go over there? And he was like, but the cameras will see me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this point particularly was bizarre because effectively, I mean, listeners, if you haven't seen it, just, just search Med- Medvedev Bublik hindrance uh, on YouTube and you'll, you'll come up. And effectively, Medvedev was in control of the point and he hit a smash straight at, uh, Bublik and he apologized midpoint. He said sorry. And Bublik managed to get the ball back and uh, it just sort of dribbled over the net and and Medvedev sort of swatted it away very easily whilst Bublik was on the floor. However, the umpire said, uh, called hindrance against Medvedev because he had said sorry midpoint and it, it became Bublik's point. And I don't think Bublik really understood what was going on until he heard that he had won the point and he was all a bit sort of confused by the situation. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of an odd one that I think got got people kind of confused about this sort of hindrance rule and how it works and it, it didn't feel right at the time and I don't think it, it it didn't really I think have an impact on the result but Medvedev was yeah as you can as you could understand in the moment uh was not particularly happy I think it's a bit of a gray area because I think you know even Bublik said like he was not affected by Medvedev saying sorry mm. and obviously Medvedev said it because I guess he you know thought he'd won the point at that time. I just love how he had to look it up, look up the word hindrance on Google <laughs> Translate because uh, he wasn't specifically sure what it meant. Um, so if anything is to come out of it, you know he's expanded his vocabulary. I think saying sorry midpoint that is like the most British British thing. I would have thought that from a a British player, maybe not so much like a, a fiery Russian player. Yeah, I would be giving away hindrances like every point because <laughs> I probably would apologise for everything on court. Um, but we also had an interesting uh, issue. Well kind of issue with uh, Kyrgios, surprise, surprise, uh, against Apelka. Um, and actually, Kyrgios was very close to beating Apelka mm. um, early on in the tournament. You know, they they went to that second set tie break and um, Kyrgios sort of had a bit of a meltdown, I think, uh, because got, got very annoyed because of um, 
this particular point. Uh, basically, it was four all in the tie break. Kyrgios kind of returned um, the serve. It kind of just fell over the net. Apelka came through to, to put it away. It was very, very close to the net. And Kyrgios thought that Apelka's foot had like touched the net and therefore would be a, you know, a fault. Um, but the umpire refused to see that, said there was nothing wrong. And Kyrgios was obviously not in agreement and was pretty furious after that. Um, but it raised an issue because, you know, I think, I think probably his foot didn't touch it. I think the umpire was probably correct, but you know, we have challenges for kind of the line calls. Should there be like a VAR system, Joel, where you could, check um yeah. call, calls and decisions like this that you've you know you would have access to instant video um they could they could check that kim you're preaching to the choir here because <laughs> this is i feel like we're getting more and more of these situations and i think sport as a whole is is moving on uh you know we're seeing obviously technology being brought more into use in in other sports you know particularly i think at the moment you know in football but yeah it just feels like you know with all these cameras on court that the uh, umpire should have access to an instant replay. That feels a very seamless thing. And I know I think it's been trialed before on the tennis court, but it really feels like it needs to be brought to the tour because I've, I felt like in this, in this match that this was a, you know, this was a pivotal moment and, you know, Pelka went on to win and, you know, win the, the deciding set. And you could, I think, visibly see that, that Kyrgios was distracted and, you know, he was annoyed, I think, about that. He was just fixated on that point. And I know, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, that that's typical Nick Kyrgios in terms of you know, getting lost and, and distracted on, uh, you know, a particular kind of moment. But I certainly felt like that in this situation, even though he, I don't think he was correct, he should, if he could have had that peace of mind to look at a piece of a replay on the screen, like we see the Hawkeye kind of visual kind of pop up. I think that maybe have just given him the peace of mind to just kind of get it out of his system and, you know, focus maybe on the third set a bit more and maybe it, it could have led to a, a different outcome. But um, yeah, it feels like something that I think tennis should be looking at incorporating, having a little video, uh, video kind of referral. Maybe, maybe players can do a VAR signal to the umpire if they want to kind of challenge, you know, whether the foot hits the net or a, or a double bounce. I feel like are probably maybe the, mo- the most two common issues. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of a, of a suitable signal. I was thinking <laughs> they could like spin three times anti-clockwise. Or, <laughs> oh, I'd love that. You can have some like really random, uh, yeah, obscure signal. It doesn't have to be like a, maybe they can bring out a card from their pocket or something. Yeah, well, that's a bit UTS, isn't it, with cards? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was going to say, though, it was good that Kyrgios was getting worked up because he said last time mm. round that he wasn't getting annoyed when he you know, lost um, and he was happy that his opponent was winning. So it felt like he was maybe getting back into, into it more, feeling like he actually cared about the result, which is good for Kyrgios fans if, if that's kind of what he needs to kind of get his mojo back. I mean, he has lost early on, like his first two matches. I mean, he has lost very tight matches to players who I think have got to... You know, got to the final. I can't remember who he lost. I think he lost to Mackenzie McDonald in, in Washington, got to the final. Um, and then he's lost to Riley Opelka here, has also got to the final. So, you know, again, I think he's been, he's been playing some, some really, really, really good tennis. It's just, I guess, unfortunate that he's been playing players who've kind of gone on one and then gone on and kind of got to the, the business end of the tournament. Cause he might be thinking, yeah, this is, you know, I'm playing well here. I can, I can do some damage, but I haven't got the, I haven't got the matches under me to kind of prove it. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And and just rounding off on the singles, Joel, a um, couple of disappointing results. Um, I was disappointed that Yannick's in a loss in straight sets to James Duckworth. Uh, that was quite a poor sort yeah. of lead on from winning uh, DC, I thought. <laughs> I, I think I WhatsApped you in the morning being like, uh, what what happened? What happened there? James James Duckworth. We weren't, weren't really expecting a, a lot from him. And, you know, Yannick Sinner coming off the back of winning in Washington. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that took a lot out of him and he just wasn't mentally ready. But yeah, to lose to to Duckworth in in straights was a bit of a surprise. And I was also obviously a bit um, sad that Rafa decided not to play. Mm. Uh, He's still struggling with this foot injury. He he won't be playing Cincinnati. Leaves him doubtful, I guess, for the US Open um, because he obviously won't, if he does decide to play, he won't have many matches under his belt at all. Probably hasn't been able to train. very much and is is far from his peak and he's just um struggling and dealing with this so we i i I mean kind of not that hopeful that he's going to play the us now after this setback yeah it's not um you know i think that was the news that sort of dominated the start of the week and it's i think you know it's unfortunate and you know sadly it's it's a sign of the times i think you know the I, i think this was you know first event i think cincinnati as well um sorry sorry toronto i think it was the first event uh to not have anyone from the big three for a long long time and sadly it's just i think gonna become more and more uh common uh but the way it, it sort of unfolded i think was uh disappointing because nadal was obviously raring to go uh you know for uh, Toronto he wanted to he was coming up against lloyd harris which would have been very very interesting because Lloyd Harris maybe could have had he would have had the opportunity there to do something that I don't think any player has done and done back to back uh first and second victory over uh Nadal in six well it would have been I think you know successive tournaments but we didn't he didn't get that opportunity Feliciano Lopez came in as a, a lucky loser but um yeah it's not it's not the most hopeful news I think for Nadal the fact that you know he's gone home as well I think you know he's seeing a doctor back at back in Spain um to see what kind of the situation is but you can't think he's kind of holding a tennis racket or training he's probably kind of just resting up and uh you know it might be a situation you know come the US Open where he'll probably you know probably expect him to fly there but he might it might just be that he makes a decision on the day you know I remember Andy Murray going through a similar similar situation you know a few seasons ago when I was there and I was sort of hoping as a fan to see yes I'm gonna maybe see Andy Murray but he kind of pulled out at the last moment but um you know it feels like maybe that's possibly a situation where we're heading where I expect him to be in New York but whether he plays is, is still very much up for debate yeah well watch this space um and just on the doubles Joel uh fantastic result for Britain's Joe Salisbury and mm. uh obviously American partner Rajiv Ram because they actually managed to do pretty much the impossible and that was beat Mektic and Pavic <laughs> uh to win the Rogers Cup amazing come on I know, I know. It was uh, a really impressive victory. 6-3, 4-6, 10-3. I think that was their first um, ATP Masters 1000 title as a team. And the fact that they had gone through, I think, four straight defeats to Mektic and Pavic this year uh, alone, uh, it just shows you the... I think the you know they've had to go back to the drawing board I guess yeah quite a few times to understand how how do we actually beat these guys 
Um, and it's probably a question a lot of the the doubles locker room is is probably asking themselves. But uh, yeah, really, really impressive. I think um, they were particularly good um, with their first serves. They won ninety percent of their first serves points. So really, really accomplished kind of victory. And you know, again, they are going to be. T- I think you know Ram and Salisbury again. They could be. Uh, I think they could be contenders for the the US Open crown. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and hopefully with this win under their belt, knowing that they can beat, you know, the world number ones, <laughs> that will give them a good amount of confidence. And another player, Joel, that's got a lot of confidence at the moment is seemingly Camilla Georgie because she has gone and won the Montreal uh, Rogers Cup or the National Bank Open, we should be saying, as it's now known as, uh, which is slightly you know, it doesn't sound quite as good, does it? But um, <laughs> anyway, Camilla Georgie won't care what the tournament's called. No, because she's just won the biggest title of her career. Um, it's her first um, a thousand uh, level title and actually only her third title overall. Mm. So a uh, big, big win for her. She came through in the final against Karolina Pliskova, who seems to be a bit of a perennial finalist of late. Uh, but yeah, Georgie won it in straight set, 6-3, And in fact, she only lost one set all week which was in the semi-finals to Jessica Pagula. Um, really impressive run of form. She's beaten a lot of um, like top 20 players lately. And, you know, to do it and back it up, win after win, come through um, to, to get this tournament. When, you know, she's been there and thereabouts a bit. Like she's been, you know, we know she's a great player. She's had big wins on her day. But to actually put it together and win a big title was really very impressive. For me, it was really out of nowhere. We all know, I think, Camilla Georgie is one of those players who... Yes, on her day, we could see that she's got great talent, but can she can she put it together for a tournament? We we again see it in I feel like drips and drabs, and it's you know maybe she can get back to back victories, but we very rarely I feel see her do it across the the whole tournament. But you know, again, I think this week was a it very much I think was a, a long time coming, and again she was able to actually showcase her talent across you know, the full tournament and and she had to, I think, in order to beat some of the, you know, the caliber of players that she was playing against. I mean, she started off against Elise Mertens, who's, you know, very handy on the tour, Podoroska, Kvitova, Coco Goff, who again was who in you know the start of the tournament was absolutely taking no prisoners. Um and then Jessica Pagula as well, who, you know, was having a very good run uh, from that bottom half of the draw. And then Pliskova in the final. Yeah, it was just very very impressive and it's Kim it's honestly got me thinking it's like why couldn't you have done this like a few years a few years ago um it just I think it just shows I think that tennis is a you know for a lot of players it is a you know it is a work in progress and I think you know maybe we sort of expect sort of instant results and you know expect you know someone to bring a coach on board and expect it to kind of pay off uh, you know, within you know that season, and I think with someone like Georgie, I think you see something that actually, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily kind of happen like that, and it always is a, it can be a work of progress, and you do need to have that belief. And she's, you know, very much kind of tightened her game. We all know she's a, you know, a big hitter, can be prone to a lot of unforced errors, a lot of double faults, um, but she's really reined that in lately, and. Um, you know, to win to win Montreal, given you know the the field that was there. Yes, there was no Barty or Osaka, but to kind of come through that unseeded, she's 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 just adding herself, Kim, to the the Italian sort of honors board uh, for the summer. 
Yes, she's thinking, well, sod the World Cup and, and all of that. Not the World Cup, <laughs> the Euros. Eurovision. Yeah, and Eurovision. <laughs> yeah, she wants a piece of the action. Um, But no, she, she has done... 100 meter final as well. Oh, yes, it. yeah. Well, um, I can't remember I can't remember that guy's name that won the Olympic. <laughs> my Olympic knowledge has immediately left me as soon as the closing ceremony happened. But yes, they did win the 100 metres. Um, but yeah, I feel also, you know, yeah, Georgie, she's, what, 29 now. It's kind of just all coming together. She's coached by her dad, you know, and it's kind of all that hard work's paying off and you know she's back now into the top 35 I think which is kind of where she was around two years ago so she might very well just be seeded for the US Open um but one player who won't want to play her again is Carolina Pliskova because I think Georgie's beaten her three times in as many months now um she beat her in Eastbourne beat her at the Olympics and now um in the final of Montreal so Pliskova is probably sick of playing uh Georgie she's, she's probably sick of playing finals let's be honest well, quite, yeah. She's, I mean, I know uh... that's probably a nice, situ- I know <laughs> yeah. that's a nice situation to be in. But I mean, yeah, given what's happened in, in Rome, where she got obviously double pagled by Sviontek, Wimbledon final as well, where she had all those those jitters, I think, you know, to begin with. Yes, it was competitive in the end. But yeah, it's it, there's pro- there's definite progress there. But there's also, there is that what there is that one final hurdle that I think she's getting to, but she seems to still be sort of falling over even though going into this match you probably would have said she was the favorite mm. when will Pliskova win a tournament again that is the question <laughs> it's really uh, <laughs> it's really good though from her I'm really mm. it's really impressive I think to see how far she has come from you know the start of the season I remember Kim I remember when we were doing our catch-ups uh you know you know at the very start of the season Pliskova was almost kind of like a oh and and it was almost to be expected that she was going to go out in well, you know, the first or second round. So to see her kind of get back to where she belongs, I think she's getting back into also the, the top five after this result. It's it's very impressive to see that that development that, you know, has taken her, you know, probably it has happened over a season, whereas for Georgie, it's happened over a, it's happened over a few years. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, previously, before this year, like, uh, Georgie was had only won, I think, against Pliskova once. So mm. um, it, it, it's never too late to turn things around. And Pliskova, yeah, like you said, she, she had a good win over Sabalenka, who you know she'd beaten in, in Wimbledon semis as well. So, um, but other players up there, Sabalenka did have a, a generally a good week. Uh, obviously, Jessica Pagula. So good home hope going into the U.S. Open. Uh, Coco Goff was very. I think lucky she got quite a lot of well she got a walkover from Joe Conta who had a bit of a bit of a weird tournament very up and then quite down because Conta um came through against Vitalina which was fantastic uh really good to see kind of a fighting win from Joe there but then because of her knee this kind of ongoing knee injury she she didn't take to the courts against Kokogov she she withdrew in advance so I just don't really know what to expect from Conta I feel like every time she steps onto court I think is she going to finish the match or is she going to get onto the caught in the first place are we getting into bianca andrescu situation with conta it maybe maybe feels like because yeah it's it's been impressive i think the the level of tennis she showed i mean i watched a bit of the svitolina match um i stayed up i stayed up late because when it went into a third set i was like oh i think i think it could be on here and yeah the level she played was was really impressive particularly i think in the conditions they were in, you know, all the stuff she's had around, you know, coming back from, you know, positive, uh, positive COVID test, not being able to play Wimbledon. You know, she had that fantastic 
result in in uh, I think in, in Nottingham when she won the tournament, and I think that was like really like the last we've really kind of seen with her properly uh, on a, on a tennis court. So to kind of pick up where she kind of left off uh, with the you know back back to back wings against uh, you know Zhang of, of China and then Svitolina was was very good. Who you know is is the you know bronze medalist from the the Olympics, but um, yeah, it's just a bit disappointing. I think with we still are and we still know that she's got these sort of knee kind of troubles and it's disappointing not to see her even be able to kind of walk out against Goff and you just wonder if you know how likely is she going to be able to kind of win a tournament and put you know for example you know, let's say you know, a grand slam put you know five six matches together um you know in a really high intensity environment when if she's not able to yeah even get out on the court kind of midway through the tournament like you know she did in uh like she did in Montreal. Yeah, it looks a bit doubtful, doesn't it? I think um, expectations will be will be quite low. Um, another player, perhaps, whose expectations I, I don't know where they'll be standing would be Simona Halep. Like this was, you know, her her kind mm. of comeback tournament. I suppose she had Danielle Collins up first, which is very tough because Danielle Collins has been, you know, on a title winning streak, and Collins came through six four in the third set there. So uh, perhaps not surprising. I was just going to say, Kim, that was a really good match. That was a really good test, I think, for Halep. And, you know, she said afterwards that was a step in the, I think she said it was like a step in the right direction. And I, I was a really, I was actually really impressed with the level that she brought, given that, you know, the streak, I think, I think Collins went on. I mean, she lost to Pegula in the next round, but I think that meant she had like a 12 match win streak. So, yeah, again, I think that was pretty impressive but uh yeah it's it's funny you talk about you know Conter and Collins you know if they're going to be unseeded at the US Open I still think for those seeded players they are going to be players you do not want to be facing off against and I think Conter is now I think f- probably fallen back into that category but the fact that you know the locker room will have noticed that she beat kind of Svitolina in three sets and know that you know she on her day is capable of that top 10 maybe even in top five ability so I think she's going to be in that category of, of dangerous players to, to look out for along with Daniel Collins yeah definitely dangerous floaters in the draw um and then I guess Joel obviously was this was we're out in Canada for these uh last few you know well, the last mm. week of tournaments um home players didn't perhaps do too too well but we had Rebecca Marino um who's Canadian and has really kind of been the feel-good story I suppose um of of last week because she's a player who retired from tennis in 2012 when she was only 22 um because of depression and she's kind of come back uh she's what like 30 now um oh no 27 no 30 30. okay yeah I wish it was only five years ago. That was 2012. <laughs> that would be so good. We'd be pre-pandemic and everything would be great. Um, yes, I can't do maths. Um, but yeah, and, and she came back and was playing um, in the main draw here for the first time in a long time and actually did pretty, pretty well. Really, really good story. Mm. Um, played uh, Paola Bedosa, beat Paola Bedosa and came um, up against Sabalenka in the quarters and and lost. But, you know, really, really, really respectable performances. Mm. Um, also had a win over Madison Keys, And just, you know, it's fantastic that she's decided to come back and has had like a week like last week. I think it's such a, a positive. 
it's been a really, as you said, a real feel good story. I think she refers to you know the matches she plays now as as chap as part of chapter two of her career, and it feels like she's really trying to draw a line. At, you know, in times where it was probably it sounded quite difficult for her. You know, earlier on, where you know, as you said, I think she was really battling depression. She fell out of love with the game, and although she yeah reached a, a career high of number thirty eight, she just was not feeling it, and you know she went away, and now she's come back and think she you know she had two back-to-back top 40 wins uh really you know in front of her home crowd given all of the stuff that's been going on over you know last 18 months with the pandemic that must have felt that must have felt really really good particularly given there's not there wasn't really much else to shout out shout shout about uh you know in terms of canadian tennis i think um across montreal and and toronto with you know andresu going out to to your Shapovalov went out, I think, first, you know, first match. Felix Ojeda also didn't do that well. So, you know, this really did feel like the, the, you know, the probably the most positive story, I think, for for Canadian tennis um, from the week. Absolutely. Apart from Gabby Dabrowski winning the women's doubles, mm, um, because very true. that you know, Canadian home hope there. Um, she was paired up with Louisa Stefani, who is a bronze medalist at the Olympics, and they're going to play together, I think, for the rest of the year. Um, and they came through in straight sets um, against Jurek and Klepak to win the title. So um, nice for Gabby, form of passing shots guest, of course. So well done. Come on. Well yeah. done, Gabby. <laughs> right. Let's take a quick break now, um, but do join us in the second half where we'll be talking about all the Roger Federer news, uh, Coco Vanderway's bizarre warm up in Landersville, and also looking ahead to the Cincinnati Masters. So do not go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to crack on with the second half, Joel. I think you've got a little <laughs> game up your yes, sleeve for me. I do. Me. I do. I've got a part for the courts for you. I'm not, I decided not to go for the mysterious player that you gave me last week, but I've gone for a part for the courts. So I've got another topic for you um, and I'm going to set a pass score for you. Um, and you're going to see if you can meet it. Are you are you ready to hear what your topic your topic is? I am more than ready. <laughs> Go for it. Go I've for been it. quite I've been quite relevant to the the tournament that we've just had. Obviously, the the Rogers Cup in Canada, and I want to go back to 2009 because something that has not happened. Uh, well, it had not happened since 1990. Happened uh, in 2009 at the. Uh, in um, in Montreal for the men's uh, Rogers Cup event. And that was, we had the top eight seeds all reach the quarterfinals in 2009. And my par for the courts for you, Kim, is can you name those eight quarterfinalists? So they were the top eight seeds. So the first seed, second seed, third seed, fourth seed, fifth seed, sixth seed, seventh seed, eighth seed. Um, and they all reached the uh, quarterfinals um, in 2009. And I am looking for each of those names. So the male male singles, male singles names. Oh, gosh. I mean, of, of course, <laughs> the top eight seeds might not have been the top eight in the world because there could have been some withdrawals or injuries. So... Okay. Um, well, I think it. I think I should probably. I should have probably fact checked this, but it's the top eight. So I'm. I feel like it is the top eight in the world. Okay. But I'm going to set the par. I I'm going to set the path for the par for you 
at i'm gonna set it at i'm gonna i'm gonna be quite generous i'm gonna set it at five okay i think i could get maybe six i think i can beat par oh i think i can do it come on um right so number one I mean, do I have to do them in order or can it be um, random? No, you don't. I mean, okay. if you want extra brownie points, you can maybe give me their seed, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask for it. Okay. In no particular order. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm giving out X Factor results. Um, so Roger Federer. Correct. Yes. Top seed. Um, now I know Rafa was injured a bit in 2009 in the summer because he obviously didn't play Wimbledon, but I, I feel like he was probably back for this. So Rafa Nadal. Correct. Yes, he was the second seed. Uh, Novak Djokovic. Correct. Yes, he was the fourth seed. Ooh, um, Andy Murray. Hopefully he was flying around then. Correct. Yes, he was the number three seed. So that is that's four. Those were the four I was sort of expecting you to get. Um, so now it comes a bit more interesting. So you've got those four. So you need one more to reach par for the courts. So this person won the US Open this year. So I'm assuming they would have been, I think, in the top eight then. And yeah, I mean, I think so. Uh, or were they not? Oh, should I say their name? I might say... Oh, 2009. I'm going to say another player and then I'm going to go with this other... Yeah, okay. I mean, um, this is to reach par, so... Yeah, uh, Joe Wilfred Songa. He must have been in the top eight then. Correct. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, Songa was the number seven seed. He okay. faced Federer in the in the quarterfinals. So uh, yes. Okay. Um, so so three oh, players, three oh, players left. Um, Andy Roddick. He would have been because uh, he would have played that Wimbledon. Correct. Yes, he was the number number five seed. Played Djokovic. Um, so the two, so two left. Uh, so I want to say Juan Martín Del Potro because he won the US that year, but I don't actually know if he would have been in the top eight. Well, if you had said Del Potro, you would have been absolutely correct. Yes, uh, he was the sixth seed. Oh. Uh, he played Del Potro. Uh, sorry, he played Nadal actually in the, oh. uh, in the quarterfinals. So uh, yes, so that's. Uh, I mean, that's seven out of eight. Can you? Are you able to give me the full house? I'm looking for the eighth seed. Uh, diehard Murray fans, I mean, really diehard Murray fans will remember him as the player who played Andy Murray in the quarterfinals um, of the uh, the Rogers Cup in 2009. Hmm. Um, it could be a range of players. It could be someone like Thomas Burdich or perhaps it could be um, um, like Chilich or no, maybe a bit early for Chilich. I want one answer. Well, is Mardi Fish still around then? I feel like he he was doing quite well at that time. I'm going to say Mardi Fish. Oh, that is a really good shout. Really good shout. But it's an incorrect oh. shout. It's an incorrect Was shout. it Thomas Burditch? You were close with Burditch. Hmm. It was Nikolai Davidenko. Oh, yeah. He won the World Tour Finals that year. Mm. Oh. He was the eighth seed. Um, so, yeah. So, that was the only time... Uh, and I th- well, I assume it's still the only time uh, that all top eight uh, male players reached the the singles quarterfinals um, in uh, on the ATP tour, which is, I mean, yeah, does not come around very often. Federer, Nadal, Murray, Djokovic, Roddick, Del Potro, Songa, Davidenko. 
Fantastic. Well, I've definitely, I'm sorry, Nikolai Davidenko, I completely forgot about you. Um, but let, let's move on to the mailbag now, Joel. Um, we had Francis getting in touch uh, with us via email. Um, this comes very relevant to kind of well, the next item on, on our agenda, which is the fact that Roger Federer um, is going to have another bout of knee surgery. So we'll be out of action for several months. Um you know, he won't obviously be playing the US Open. He said he's going to have to be on crutches for a while um, after the surgery. And, you know, it's not, not looking good. too good for the rest of the season, basically. Um, so Francis was asking, given the recent setbacks to Federer, you know, time is slowly winding down on his career. How would you like to see Roger Federer retire? And when when do you think he will announce it? So trying to get our crystal balls out again for this <laughs> one, Joel. What do you think? Oh, such a such a sad question. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's. Unfortunately, it's one of those questions. I think is on the minds of of lots of people. Uh, more you know more now than ever. Um, if you were to ask me, um, how do I want to see him retire? I'd like. I think I'd personally like to see him retire um, at Wimbledon um, on centre court, and you know, go out in a go out in a blaze of glory. Um, I, I, you know, not obviously expecting him to get to a a Grand Slam final, probably again, unfortunately. But I'd, I'd certainly think that you know, given his prowess, um, you know, at Wimbledon and the memories that he's given the fans, particularly of you know, British fans, um, I would like to see him sort of do like a like a an an a sort of a um a, like a retirement exhibition tour i think um and maybe announce it at, maybe announce it at the start of the next season if he's a, if he is able to cuz feel like he you know he's going to be now looking ahead to the australian open um you know he's probably going to be in the late at the labor cup in some form of uh, capacity but um it doesn't feel like it's going to be a playing capacity but um yeah i'd like i'd like maybe to see him him do it at the start of the year give us all that sort of time to prepare ourselves and uh you know not be a sort of sudden a sudden situation and yeah maybe maybe get a wild card into Wimbledon if his you know, rankings not up to it and uh yeah bow out who knows if he could get a you know luck of the draw maybe we'll have like a one final Federer Federer Murray match or something at Wimbledon for him to go out on or maybe even win I don't know but um yeah I think that for me is that's for me is how I'd like it to play out Maybe they could play each other and both retire together. Um, <laughs> oh, that would be great. Yeah. I, I also thought you were going to say that you like Federer to retire at Wimbledon in a blazer, but then you went on to say blaze of glory. <laughs> oh, I'd love, I'd love, uh, would, he, would he bring out, would he bring out some sort of special garment from the RF collection? I certainly think he would. Uh, I th- <laughs> it's, it has been known, Joe, it has been known. So yeah, I feel like Wimbledon would be the most appropriate. And I do, I do feel like he will announce it in advance so he can kind of get all the fans coming see him one last time uh, but I, I certainly think he could play on the old masters tour you know pop to the royal albert hall play a bit of seniors you know in, in a few years time um you know exhibitions i don't think you know i feel like he's going to be in and around tennis uh he won't suddenly you know disappear and i'll tell you what if you're thinking about we were talking about marketing strategies earlier for tournament organizers if i'm on the seniors tour I'd be looking at the big three and trying to tap them up for the for the senior store. Oh, absolutely. I think the senior store <laughs> might they, their ticket sales will go through the roof. Yeah. My gosh. Um but yes, we, we will wait and see what happens with, with Federer, but let's let's hope his surgery goes well in the meantime. Um got a bit of news as well about the rest of the year because um 
we have had notification now that a lot of the Asian swing events are not going to be happening. They have cancelled uh, the Shanghai Masters, the Chengdu Open, the Zhuhai uh, ATP events. That That's all gone. Um, but we do have Indian Wells uh, instead. Um, and likewise, on the women's side of things, um, no Asian tournaments, except for randomly, there's one in Seoul, which hasn't been cancelled. Mm. So perhaps they're hoping to still stage that. Um but yeah, so lots of calendar updates. But the main thing is Indian Wells is happening. We're going to have a full kind of two, two weeks. weeks. Oh. Yeah, which is great. Um, and yeah, everyone will be going off to California instead of China. So a uh, bit of a change. And then WTA finals, Joel. Um, if, if there are, aren't going to be any WTA finals in Shenzhen, might be staged somewhere in Europe. I was hoping maybe the O2 in London could, could stage a bid for that. I think that would be a great location. Yeah, I think that's the question on a lot of WTA fans' lips is uh, it must feel like we, we haven't played all this tennis, uh, you know, this season, particularly on the WTA Tour, for there not to be a WTA Tour finals. And yeah, I do wonder, you know, we've not obviously heard yet where it might go, but it feels like Europe is the des- is the continent of choice. Uh, we don't know where it might be, but, um, you know, could it be in, in Turin, uh, you know, similar to the ATP maybe could it could it go to the o2 i don't know but it feels like there must be talk, talks and conversations going on at the moment um maybe there are proposals going in but um yeah it's uh, definitely be it's definitely i think sad that we're not getting the, the you know the asian swing as we you know used used to know it and you know we're not going to get the shanghai masters i you know i absolutely loved watching the the shanghai masters such a unique event and it's given us so many classic matches i think over the years and i think it's it's sad we're not going to get that but at the same time to see indian wells i think come back uh and you know be given i think you know proper it's it's been given two weeks i mean kim it's it's been spoken about as the fifth grand slam what feels like forever but the fact that it's going to be across the two weeks you know you feel like it's yes it's past you know it's after the the us open but you feel like if it gets proper quality fields, it might as it might as well just be called the fifth grand slam because it's going to be uh you know it's going to be a proper event with there's going to be uh you know with a proper build up the San Diego Open is is going to be new as a 250 as leading into it but um yeah it does feel like this is going to be the big I think the last big song and dance in uh you know in North America post post the US Open. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be a great tournament. Uh, Indian Wells is one of my favourites. Um, it's a beautiful location, mm. so it's one I would love to go to at some point uh, in the future. But um, we'll be looking forward to that. It gives us something after the US Open, doesn't it, um, to get our teeth into. And interestingly enough, on the um, WTA calendar, I noticed you have written down, Joel, there's a Transylvania <laughs> Open, yes. and the final is going to be on Halloween. Uh, so you couldn't make it up really could you <laughs> i am fully expecting some weird trophy ceremony or they're gonna all be in out um vampire gonna, outfits. yeah vampire outfits or, or whatever they should they should jazz i think they should jazz it up and i think i'm hoping we see it on yeah on youtube being like is this one of the, the weirdest tennis trophy presentations in the future that reminds me didn't novak Djokovic come on court dressed as batman once um at like the, the paris masters listeners I'm, i might be going <laughs> mad but i'm sure back in the day Djokovic dressed up as batman and walked on court um it would kim it would be great if in the transylvania open let's just say when the players are walking out on halloween 
just walk out in a Halloween outfit and that just warm up in a Halloween outfit just just would add some much needed hilarity, I think, to the to the tour. And the trophy could just be like a pumpkin. Yeah. Um, that would be cool. I would, <laughs> that love, would be love great. To see I'd that. Love to see yeah. That. A ceramic <laughs> pumpkin. um actually joel the montreal title that georgie won was a a gyroscope or a gyroscope i'm not sure how to say it but um i thought you quite like that you like your sort of random rogue trophies so uh it's quite nice it's scientific sort of title um but anyway we move on uh we move on and yeah a bit of also news just before we look ahead to cincinnati um we obviously had the uh women's um event in landersville um which i think emma radicanu has been playing um she actually had to pull out i think because it's been really really hot and um really trying conditions out there but um coco vanderway was up against uh gogodze of georgia and bit of a sort of dramatic uh scenes i suppose um i mean this was doing the rounds on social media yeah so Coco Vandaway won the first set. Uh, then in the second set, she was kind of down, I think, like 4-3. Um, she seemed to sort of start tanking. Uh, so it was a set all. Um, she then called for a medical timeout. They stopped play, actually, because of the, you know, very, very hot weather. Um, and when they came back onto the court, um, basically Coco Vandaway had said she didn't want to have a warm-up. But uh, I think, you know, they, they have to obviously tell the opponent that. And the opponent, God say, said no, I would like you to warm up with me. Thank you very much. So Vanderway was just kind of standing there, um, not moving, uh, just kind of even playing with her her left hand. You know, she's normally right-handed, was not putting any effort into the warm-up at all. Um, looked really, really odd. I don't think I've ever seen that in tennis before. And um, yeah, just really, really not on, basically. Yeah, well, it wasn't a. It was a very. It was a very odd look. I think it, it, it might it might have been just Gorgodze. I think it was Gorgodze and, and her team requested for the warm up, and and Van der Vey was like, "I want to conserve energy," and I think she, you know, it, they they did look like brutal kind of conditions. I think you know during the week there were there were multiple times I think when players had to go off court because of the you know, because of the heat rule taking kind of effect. But um, yeah, it was just a very bizarre situation that I'd not seen before and um you know to see it from Coco Vandervey I think she was not yeah she obviously was not best pleased um and you know she, I think she came out she came out with a you know response on, on social media to kind of just kind of talk about the situation and kind of how it unfolded and she was kind of saying you know my entire body uh, you know by the end of the second set was cramping intensely and I had extreme nausea um, you know, I struggled to finish when play was suspended for excessive heat. The on-site physios did a great job of hydrating, cooling me down. Um, but afterwards, yeah, my opponent requested a warm up and she just was not having absolutely any of it. And I don't think she came back out to kind of finish the match when they went off again because of kind of heat exhaustion. But um, yeah, it just was a bit, it was just a bit bizarre and I don't know what the solution was. It just looked very awkward. And I'm sure that there are going to be people who are going to side with with Coco, who we know is a very, I think on her day, can be a very fiery player and, and is not necessarily out there to make friends on the tour. And this you know, probably is one of those situations where, but again, I think there's going to be other people who say, you know, probably should be respecting your opponent and, you know, her wishes and you might not like it, but you know, this, this, is, it, this is tennis and it feels like, you know, you should be, you know, you should be at least, you know, at least doing a warm up, particularly if you've got kind of a third, a third set ahead. 
Yeah, I just feel like if you're not well enough or feeling yeah, strong, just strong don't enough, come out on court. Just just retire. Don't yeah. like come out and think, oh, I'll, I'll try and save energy by not doing a warm up. You know, the warm ups aren't that intense. So if you can't play the warm up, how are you going to manage and, and play a whole third mm. set? I feel like she was trying to kind of be a bit like. She wasn't obviously didn't want to like give up, and you know she's obviously trying to fight her way through. But I just think push comes to shove, you sometimes just got to make like the right decision. And I think it was probably just a bit, obviously a very difficult decision, difficult conditions. But um, I think really she um, she should have probably just withdrawn before stepping out <laughs> onto court. But anyway, um, we'll see how she does kind of going forwards. Uh, let's just quickly look to what's happening this week, which is the Cincinnati Masters. So we've got obviously men and women both there. Medvedev is, is the top seed. Again, um, there's no big three in this one. So we've got Medvedev and Sitsipas kind of number one and two seeds. Berrettini is back though. Um, he's been out, uh, with a sort of thigh injury that he picked up at Wimbledon. So be good to have him back on court. And, um, I'm, I'm very happy that PCB, he's the seventh seed, Joel. He's, he's going up in the world. <laughs> and we've also got Andy Murray as a wild card. So what more could you want? It's going to be exciting, I think, with the fact with Berrettini back. Zverev also um, is there. It feels like this is going to be, um, you know, I was wondering actually what how this draw was going to look and whether it wasn't going to be as strong um, as Toronto. But yeah, it's it's very exciting. And I mean, just looking at some of the first round matchups, we've got Nakashima versus uh, McDonald. Both players, both American players, both there on a wild card. Uh, that's going to be, I think, a really fun match because both of those players have been in real form recently. In terms of British prospects, it's going to be tough, Kim. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Cam Norrie's got John Isner. That's an unseeded round one match, which <laughs> which is baffling to me. Um, again, I think it's going to be. I think that's going to be very tough for Norrie. Um, I think Dan Evans as well. Um, he's got kind of a, a tricky opening against Schwartzman. Again, he could. Yeah, you know, he should. I think he should be going into that expecting. Yeah, I reckon expecting probably to win that on on a hard court. But um, yeah, quite tough. But I think yeah, all eyes will be particularly for British fans on on Andy Murray to see how he does. You know, he's in on another. I think he's in on another wild card. That won't be the case for the U.S. Open. Uh, which uh, he will be getting direct entry due to his ranking, but um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, Kim. It's going to be a bit of a throwback because I think he's playing Richard Gasquet um, in the first round. Oh blimey, that that is a big throwback, <laughs> and the winner of that would probably play Hubert Hercash. So probably I, I would say Andy Murray is unlikely to get beyond that stage, but we will see. Kim, just talking of throwbacks, just to add to that, Gasquet beat Vadasco in the final round of qualifying as oh. well. How dare he? How dare <laughs> yeah, there he? There was some, some serious throwbacks going going on there, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I would I would still sort of expect Andy Murray to come through. Richard Gasquet. We know the fantastic matches they've played over the years. Um, always, we'll always remember that running Wimbledon shot. Yeah, at yeah. Wimbledon. The bicep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, the bicep. Yeah, we could just call it the bicep moment. Yeah, um, but yeah, he sh- hopefully he'll come through that. I mean, we'll we won't wait too long. I think that is on tonight at midnight. So um, be interested to see how he gets on. Late night for you then, Joel, staying up to watch that. <laughs> well, exactly. Hope you got the snacks in. Um, <laughs> on the women's side, we've got Barty and Osaka back. So mm. top two seeds, um, top two in the world, back in action. Um, so that'd be interesting to see how how they get on. Obviously, Barty lost um, in her first singles match at the uh, Olympics and Osaka, yeah. you know, lost out to Von Drews for in that as well. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see. 
Barty is surrounded by qualifiers, but could face Azarenka in the quarterfinals, who you know did okay, I think, in in uh, Montreal. I think she lost quite comfortably to um, Sabalenko in straights, but um, that could be quite interesting. What's potentially even more uh, mouthwatering, Kim, is we could have Coco Goff, Naomi Osaka second round um if goff comes through her first round match against a qualifier so um i'm sort of i'm sort of hoping that 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 happens well that would certainly be a, a tasty match another one to stay up for um yeah i mean joe conta is playing this so interestingly her knee injury you know she couldn't play against goff last week but she's due to play mukova in the first round of this one so hopefully she'll actually be able to to do that i mean again it's loaded like danielle collins shelby rogers first round that's going to be a bit of a barnstormer i think and also we have your versus contavit with a winner playing Sviontek. that could be quite tasty. Sakari versus Kerber, also completely <laughs> unseeded round one matchup uh, with the winner playing Svitolina. That uh, feels uh, very exciting. Diana Yastrzemska's back. Oh, yeah, it's there's. Oh, uh, yeah. Sam Stoza's on another wild card as well, Kim. I know we always love calling out wild cards for Sam Stoza. So you take real umbrage at that, don't well, you? How, how is that? How is that keep happening? I don't. I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't think she ever makes much um, like use of the wild cards as well. Like, I, I don't think I don't feel like she goes on a, a run deep, but she may she may prove us wrong this week. Now we've had a go at her for that. Um, but yeah, what will happen this week? Will Medvedev, you know, win two in a row? Will Will Osaka just storm to victory and set herself up for the US Open? It's oh, it's really hard yeah. to tell. I mean, I would I would not be given the the way. Medvedev ended um in Toronto would not be surprised if he just kind of continues that on he's we've, we've seen that from him before um but again there's there's going to be more threats there and I'm sort of interested to see how Zverev will come through given you know he's obviously just come off winning a gold medal and Berrettini as well so I don't think he's going to have it all his own way um it does feel though that it does feel looking at it though that the bottom half is a lot stronger than the top half I'm expecting Medvedev probably to come through that top half but the fact that you've got Rude, Zverev, Berrettini, Sissipas all in that bottom half feels like that is very much going to be a very competitive um, very competitive half to get through. Yeah I'd say Medvedev is, is my my pick for the title I think he'd probably be a lot of people's picks. Mm. May place uh, May sorry may face PCB in the in the uh, <laughs> quarter so he beat him at the Olympics. Oh very true very um, true. And as for the women oh I've I've got no idea um I mean, Von Drews for Bencic first round. That was the Olympic <laughs> final. So I'll go with Belinda Bencic. She's going to continue her oh, Olympic run of form. Okay. Why not? <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go Igor Sviontek. I'm. I don't think. I think Osaka will do okay. I still think she'll be. Um, you know, I still. I'm still not sure. I mean, it was interesting to hear. You know, she. Uh, was talking about the situation in Haiti, um, you know, the unfortunate situation in Haiti over the last week, you know, with the the earthquake happening there and and many, many people uh, unfortunately dying. And, and Osaka said that she's going to take that and use that as, as inspiration. And we know, you know, she she loves to, I think, you know, tap into those sorts of you know social events going on around her for inspiration and motivation. So again, I think it'll be an interesting question to see whether that has an effect on Osaka's play this week in terms of whether she can go on and win it. Yeah, it might actually be kind of what she needs to sort of focus mm. away from her yeah. 
own kind of stresses with with tennis so um, as we've seen her do in, in the past um but we will be back uh, as usual in a week uh, to discuss it all uh, and then i guess beyond that we'll be previewing the us open which will soon yeah. be upon us <laughs> <laughs> exciting times exciting times but yeah listeners i hope you enjoyed listening to this latest episode of the tour catch up with the passing shot remember if you want to stay up to date on all the action on the american hard courts as we head into the us open make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's apple podcasts spotify overcast Castbox, stitcher wherever you listen to us make sure you hit that subscribe button and you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app And if you want to show your support for the show, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a follow and a like if you don't already. Um, You can also reach us via email as well, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. So do let us know any questions you may have, any feedback or any comments, as we do love to hear from all of our listeners. Um, And you can also check us out on our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ to look back on all the events in Cincinnati. Will Medvedev make it back to back? How will Osaka and Barty get on? We will soon find out, but I hope you can join us for our next catch up and we will see you again soon. So, Kim, with the news of the Transylvania Open, I mean, an obvious question. I know it's not Halloween yet, but if you're on the tour and they do ask you to put on a Halloween outfit when you come out on court, what what outfit are you going for? Oh, that is uh, an extremely good <laughs> a shout. Mu- a mummy. A mummy? Uh, <laughs> is that a Wimbledon? Wimbledon would have to be a mummy because it's sort of all white. Um, oh, oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. It's funny you were talking about outfits, though, because I was checking out Camilla Georgie's mother's website. Cause she's got her <laughs> own fashion label. Um, so maybe I'd ask Camilla Georgie's mum to fashion me something up. Like a, des- a designer label Halloween outfit. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>